theme this month, for the whole month, is going to be Reclaim. Because it's taken from the book of Ezra at a time when the nation of Israel has, because of their disobedience, their idolatry, walking away from God, disobeying God. Can, can you identify with that? Uh, because of that, in another land and now God at the end of 70 years just as he just as he promised he is going to reclaim them I spoke with you last week about redemption and restoration and that is indeed God's plan for Israel in that day and that is also God's plan for Israel, uh, for us in our day. We're going to be reading from Ezra chapter 5 about rebuilding. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province of, uh, beyond the river, and Sheth Bozani, Shethar Bozani, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house, to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows, To Darius the king, all peace. Be it be known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Rebuilding. I spoke with you about redemption and about restoration. After repentance comes redemption and after redemption, restoration. But even in restoration, there, there is a need for rebuilding. Think about your own life. If you have come to Christ, you know the Lord is Savior, that came about because of repentance in, and faith in Jesus Christ. 
you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were restored to a right relationship with Him. But now there is a time of rebuilding. God's plan for you is redemption and restoration, but also rebuilding. Are you paying attention to God's plan? Are you following His plan? Are you allowing Him to rebuild you? You see, what was going on with that nation is also going on in our lives today. Now, I want you to notice several things about God's process of rebuilding us, of rebuilding us personally, and of rebuilding His church. First of all, I want you to notice the people that God uses in rebuilding. He says, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. What kind of people does God use? He uses prophets. Now, we usually think about prophets as being someone who foretells the future. That's actually not what was happening with, with Haggai especially. If you read the book of Haggai, you'll see that what he was doing was preaching to them, thus saith the Lord. The Word of God, in other words. He's sharing with them, delivering to them the Word of God. We too have prophets among us. Not people who foretell the future, but those who foretell, that is, tell forward the Word of God. Prophets in our lives are those people who deliver the Word of God to us. I said last week, and I'll say again, I'm grateful for our pastor who stands here week after week and delivers God's Word to us in a way we can understand. Now, Haggai and Zechariah, those prophets of old, spoke by inspiration. That is, God told them what to say. Well, that would be great if that were to happen today, but that does not happen today. Our pastor does not speak to us by inspiration. He speaks to us by perspiration. Have you ever thought of that? Because he has to spend the week. What does Brother Bob do during the week? Well, you'll find him in the Word of God preparing the message for us every Sunday. He does not do that by inspiration because we already have the inspired book, the Word of God. And so he pours over the Bible, the Word of God, studying and preparing, and he speaks at, as the... I'm sorry but at the result of, as a result of, perspiration. The preparation that he has for the messages that he brings to us. And, and we need to understand that he stands as a prophet. The one who stands here, even as I stand today, I have to recognize, I assure you, that I, I've spent time preparing, and part of that preparation is praying, Lord, don't let me mess up. You ever pray that prayer? I think that's a good practical prayer. Lord, don't let me mess up. Let me represent you well. May you be glorified in the way I present your word because this is serious business. I'm standing before you as a prophet of God 
because I'm declaring to you the word of God. And listen, we need prophets who will speak into us God's word, who will explain to us, who will illustrate to us how to apply that word of God to our lives. And when God gives us a prophet, he puts a prophet in our lives to share with us, declare to us the Word of God, you know, we better respect them. We need to treat the prophets in our lives with respect. You know, there's a warning in the Old Testament, touch not the Lord's anointed, do my prophets no harm. That's huge. I think there probably ought to be more preaching about that today. When I have trained interns to go work with missionaries, whether it is with Rusty Tear in Thailand, whether it is with when James Taylor, wherever they're going, there is a book that I require them to read. It'd be a good book for you to read. The Tale of Three Kings. It is a story of the relationship between David and Saul. And it points out that though God gave David the opportunity to harm Saul, he would never do it. He said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Listen, when God puts prophets in our lives, whether it is our pastor, pastoral staff, maybe it is your Sunday school teacher, the one who stands before you, and after not a saying that to our Sunday school teachers, make sure that you are well prepared for your class. Put in the perspiration for that class. But listen, when God puts a Sunday school teacher in front of us who is a prophet to us and pours into us the Word of God, we ought to respect them. We ought to pray for them. We need, you need to pray for your pastoral staff. You need to pray for Brother Bob because he needs the wisdom of God and he needs the presence of God he needs the direction of God and when God puts a prophet in our lives we need to pray for that prophet that one who delivers to us the word of God we ought to love that prophet that God has given us you, I hope you love your church staff especially since I'm almost one of them but and you say well you guys are not very lovable well, I got news for you. Neither are you. <laughs> hey, we're all broken. Do you know that? We all have hurts, hang-ups, and habits. And we need God and God's Word for that. And we all need to know that we are loved. We need to love the prophets that God has placed in our lives. Whether it's somebody on the staff or a teacher that God has put in your life to pour the Word of God into your heart and into your mind. We need to respect them. We need to pray for them. We need to love them. And we need to follow them. Hebrews chapter 13 says that they give account for our souls as they lead us. By the way, uh, I've got this pet peeve. Talking about respect. I've grown up in our churches and, and I've heard a term used through the years that drives me nuts. People talk about, you know, they hire a young pastor and they talk about our little preacher boy. Our little preacher boy. I hate that. 
Is he a man of God or not? Then he's not just a little preacher boy. And there are a lot of churches, I'm afraid, that want just a preacher, and they don't want a pastor. And so it worries me when they say, our preacher. Is that all he is? Well, praise God if he's preaching the Word of God, but we need leadership. We need a shepherd who will boldly stand before us and lead us as a prophet of God, and we need to follow that leadership. And so God places prophets in our lives for our building and our rebuilding. To rebuild us. The, uh, talking about the people that God uses in rebuilding in verse 2 of chapter 5. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shethiel and Jeshua or Joshua, Yeshua uh, perhaps in Greek, the son of Josadak arose began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. This guy, Jeshua, is a priest. And God places not just prophets in our lives, but He puts priests in our lives. When I think about the priesthood in the Old Testament and the priests that God has in our lives today, I'm talking about those who bring us into a relationship with God. You know, every time the Word of God is preached in this place, we're hoping that there's someone who's hearing the Word of God and the Gospel and maybe understanding it for the first time. And even if it's not the first time to hear it or the first time to understand it, that they will respond to it for the first time and come to faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, who led you to the Lord? Think about that. That was a priest that God put in your life to bring you into relationship with Him. Not only that, but a priest is someone who lead us in worship. Um, in fact, I've said it two different ways, to lead us in worship, but I think a priest leads us into worship. That He helps us prepare our hearts and He leads us into a state of worship. Um, I've been very vocal with with Aaron because I've been in other churches a lot and I come home to faith and I hear Aaron Evans lead us in worship I, I, I tell you what he may not be Chris Tomlinson or you know I, I could name it any several but he is a gifted Aaron is a gifted worship leader we need to appreciate that and we need to follow Him into worship. He is a priest to us when He leads us into worship. Now, that priest may be our pastor. When, when I talk about leading us into fellowship with God and leading us into worship, it also includes those who minister to us in our distress. Uh, again, that may be our pastor. But listen, some pastors are great at being a prophet, but they're not really great at being a priest. On the other hand, there are some pastors who are great at being a priest, but they're not great at being a prophet. Hey, that's why we have a church staff. So that we have a multiplicity of gifts and one fills in where the other is lacking. 
so that we have prophet and priest ministering to us. Hey, you know, one of the things that, that I really liked when I came to this church as a, as a member and a missionary 17 years ago. Jeff, you realize that? 17 years ago. One of the things I found here was the family deacon program. I love the concept of the family deacon that every deacon is given a list of families and that deacon is to be a priest to that family to minister to the families to, to which he's been assigned. That is a wonderful plan. And if God has put a priest, maybe it's your Sunday school teacher. You know, I, I visited someone in the hospital this week and the Sunday school teacher got there twice before I got there once. Difficult for the pastor to always make every visit to a sick person. And that's what Sunday school teachers should be doing. That's a priest that God has put in your life. And you need to recognize that. Praise God for prophets. But praise God for priests. And both of them are for the purpose of building us into who God wants us to be. The other person that is in that verse is a, a fellow by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a descendant of Babel. He was not a king because they were under Babylonian rule. Instead, he was the governor of that land. But Zerubbabel represents the princes that God may put in our lives. That is, the people who are over us, who lead us, and build us up, perhaps even in our secular life. Now, it may be a government official who is over you, who is pouring into you and helping you to grow. Or it may be your employer, your boss, or your supervisor. Listen, you work that job under their tutelage. They are there to get the best from you and as Christians, we are commanded to be good employees and to do it not just to appear to be good, but do it to the glory of God. God may put mentors in your life to help you to have a better family. That's what some of our small group sessions are about. To help you to be, to have a better family life, to be a better husband, to be a a better father, to be a better mother, to be a better wife. That's what small groups are about. Uh, that small group may be about uh, financial concepts. That, that is an opportunity for a mentor, a prince, someone who's a little further along the road than you, someone who has learned, has been to the school of hard knocks perhaps, and, and understands biblical principles, to pour into you to build up your life. We need to understand that in His process of rebuilding, God will put people in our lives to enable us to be rebuilt. We need to listen to them. We need to imitate them and allow God to have His way in our lives. I want you to also notice, though, the partnership of rebuilding because it says that Zerubbabel 
and Jeshua began to arose and began to rebuild the house of God that's in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, that may seem to you like a motley crew. And, you know, Lauren, I admit, I, I put that in my notes and I realized later, I knew it sounded for me, and then I realized that's the name of a band. Okay, anybody here old enough to remember the Motley Crew? Well, <clears throat> you know, I'm thinking about, okay, you got the, you've got a prophet, and, you know, I can't imagine, I'm not sure what a prophet wore. I've read things like leather belts and, and hairy garments, and I, I don't know what they were wearing. But then there's the priest, and, and think about the priestly garb of that day with all the gold and, and the emblems and the crown and... And so you've got these guys out there working and in their whatever they're wearing to work together. And then you've got the governor out there doing his part. And then you've got the common people. Talk about a motley crew, a variety of individuals with different gifts and different talents. That may sound like a motley crew, like the Fellowship of the Ring or the band of brothers, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I included both of those because surely if you don't know who the Fellowship of the Ring is, you will have seen the, the series, The Band of Brothers, and, and kudos to any of you who know who both of those are. But it's not the Fellowship of the Ring, it's the Fellowship of the Lord, and we call it a church. We are the motley crew. We've come from different backgrounds with different giftedness, different abilities, and yet it is a partnership where like them, they all chipped in. They all worked together. That's what we're supposed to do. Not to be against each other, not to be jealous of each other, but to put our hands together in the work of the Lord in a partnership. Now, just in case you don't know who the Fellowship of the Ring is, I'm just curious, how many of you recognize the people in that picture? Wow, I had more people in the early service who recognized that picture than in the second service. That's not what I expected. Well, look, so, so that you understand what I'm talking about, you may be a Gandalf. That's, that's the prophet. That's the seer in the crowd. You may be a Gandalf, or you may be a Gimli. Gimli's the little short dwarf with all the hair, and uh, both of them are quite characters. Listen, God's work is full of characters. The church is sort of like uh, the program, you know, the, the network that says, characters welcome. That's the church. You may be a Gandalf, you may be a Gimli. But you are a part of this fellowship. We are together here and you belong to be a part of what's going on in the Lord's fellowship, the fellowship of the Lord. Let me say this. You may be a Gandalf, you may be a Gimli. If, if you're a Gimli, don't try to be a Gandalf. Just be satisfied with who God made you to be and you use your giftedness wherever the opportunity arises. On the other hand, if you're a Gandalf, do not settle with being a Gimli. Use 
your talents, your giftedness fully, completely to the glory of God in this fellowship of the kingdom of God. I want you to notice then partnership, but the provocation of the enemy. You see, it says in chapter 2, at the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shether Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, that is, with opposition. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? Listen, there is never a shortage of opposition to God's work. Never a shortage. The devil is active and he has his agents. Unfortunately, sometimes those agents are within the Lord's church. Hopefully, they are for the most part outside the church. But there's always, always, always opposition. If you make a commitment to serve the Lord as a part of the fellowship of the Lord, as a part of the church, understand there will be opposition. And it may get personal. Do not be surprised when it gets personal. Listen, if there is opposition and it gets personal, will you be faithful Will you be faithful when there's opposition? Will you be faithful when it gets personal? I will tell you this. If you are not faithful to continue serving God because of opposition, and when it gets personal, you walk away, you will never be able to stand when the persecution comes. And I believe with all of my heart that persecution is coming and it may be coming in our lifetime. Will you stand for God against the opposition? I want you to notice though, their answer. When they ask, who are you? It says down in verse 11, this is chapter 5, verse 11, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. I want you to think about that answer. We're servants of God. And identifying the God of heaven, the one true God. We are servants. And that we're rebuilding His house. Now, a couple of things about that. It's not our work. It's His work. We're just servants. And it's His house, it's His church that we are building. It is His kingdom and we're just servants. Too often we talk about my church. My church. And it's not my church or your church. It's God's church. It belongs to Him. We don't control it. It belongs to Him. We serve the owner. We serve the Master. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our church. 
It's His. We're simply here to rebuild. By the way, in those same verses, and I read them earlier, I, I didn't put them back on screen, but did you notice that the enemy who attacked them and accused them said, the work is going on and the workers are diligent. The workers are diligent and the work is prospering under their hand. Are you diligent as a servant of God? Or have you begun to let go? Oh, I'm tired of being the only one. I'm tired of doing all this work. And nobody ever does anything except me. By the way, that's a refrain that even Elijah the prophet used. And the Lord said, no, I've still got 7,000 who've not yet bowed their knee to the idol god Baal. There's still people out there faithful. You just don't know it. Have, have, I, I said last week, have you burned out in church? Listen, God wants to restore you, to redeem that past, to restore you. And I'm telling you today, He wants to rebuild you. And it says they were diligent in the work. When you volunteer for a task, if you're serving on a committee, what, whatever God has you doing, teaching a class, taking care of the children, you be diligent in doing what God has called you to do. It says, and the work was prospering under their hand. You know, we have a problem uh, one of the things that I've had to be a part of, study, read about, and teach and preach is uh, about revitalization of churches. Because we've got a lot of churches that are dying today. You know why churches are dying? It's because of the country club mentality. The consumerist approach. I'm going to, I'm going to go to church to see what they have for me. And if I don't like it, there are six others down the street, and I'll go to one of them. I'm just a consumer. What's in it for me? What can I get? How can they help me? Or oh, if I don't like the way things are done, if they're not giving me what I want, I'll go somewhere else. Just like shopping for a car. You hit all the dealerships. Is that really what God has in mind for us? And listen, that consumerist approach, looking for what, how we served, instead of looking for a way to serve God out of gratitude for Him, for His love and His sacrifice, for His salvation, is killing our churches. We are servants, we need to be diligent, and we need to be seeking the prosperity of God's kingdom, of His church? Are you praying that things in this church, that the programs, that the plans, that the small groups, that everything will go well and that the church will prosper? Sometimes run into people in churches that I think are against the church doing well. They sort of rejoice when things go poorly. I, I was at the church the day that the staff was meeting years ago, and some lady came to the service—not to the—came in the building while they were meeting, and everybody really began to tremble. They were scared to death. 
Oh, what you want this time? Because there was always something. Always some opposition. Always some complaint. And never a desire, it seemed, for the prosperity of the church. Listen to me. That is not of God. As servants of God, we need to be diligent in our work. And we ought to weep when things do not well and redouble our efforts and make sure we're going in the right direction. But seek the prosperity and pray for the prosperity of this church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you hoping and praying? Are you working diligently as a servant? And are you hoping and praying for the prosperity of God's kingdom? Then finally, I want you to notice the protection of God. But the eye of God was on the elders. By the way, that is a phrase that's repeated again and again. The eye of the Lord was on us. is repeated again and again in the book of Ezra. And they did not stop them. The opposition didn't stop them until the report should, be, should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. God protected them during this process so that the rebuilding could take place. He offers, I believe, protection for us as we follow Him. By His presence and by His power, He rebuilds us so that we have His strength in our lives and He protects us. Listen, God is able to protect us from the enemy no matter what our circumstances. Because He wants to rebuild our lives to His glory. In the, in the book, The Insanity of God, I know that's a weird title, but it has to do with people who serve God even persecution. That's the reason for the title. But there is the story of Dmitri, a Russian pastor who was arrested for preaching the Word of God in Russia, was sent to a prison a thousand kilometers away from his family. He was put in a cell that was so small, he said when he would stand beside his bed, it was two steps to one wall, two steps to the other wall, because the bed was against the wall. And there, that even included the non-functioning toilet and and non-working water tap that was in the room. Tiny little toilet. No heat, no air conditioning. No heat was the big thing because in Russia, for most of the year, that means there's going to be ice. And there was, in fact, a column at the corner of his room, a support of the building, and water continually dribbled down that column. And most of the year, it was ice. He said, how do you live through that kind of persecution? He said that there were two habits that he established at, at, when he became a Christian, even as a young man. One was hiding the Word of God in his heart, memorizing Scripture. And he said that, that kept him going in the time of persecution. And the other was that every morning at dawn, he would stand, and, stand at attention and raise his arms and sing to the God of heaven a hymn that he called his heart song. Now, can you imagine the response of the other prisoners? 
And by the way, there were 1,500 or so other prisoners in that prison with him, and none of them were Christians. None were believers. So just imagine them being awakened at dawn by this idiot in the other cell who's standing and singing to the top of his lungs a hymn in Russian to the glory of God. He said the beatings were continual in that prison. One of the things that he did, they did not have paper or pencils, but he would find bits of charcoal and he would find little pieces, scraps of paper occasionally. And when he did, he would write down a, a, a verse that he had memorized. Take that verse to his cell. He would hide it. He would take it to his cell and he would stick it on that column, on that wet column. And, of course, the guards would find it and they would beat him because of it. But it never stopped him. Beatings went on for so long that he thought he was actually going to die. They threatened several times to execute him. But one day in the prison yard, he found a large piece of paper. He hurried back when he was given the opportunity to his cell and he wrote every bit on the page and he stuck it on the wall. And, of course, the guards came. They found the verse. And they, they beat him in his cell and they drug him out. Said, we, we're, we're going to kill you. You're just going to be executed. But as they drug him down the hallway of the prison, suddenly the voices of 1,500 prisoners rang out as they sang to the top of their lungs Dimitri's heart song. You see, they had listened to it for years and it was now in their hearts and they lifted their voices when they did. Imagine that, a choir of 1,500 rough prisoners singing a hymn to God at the top of their lungs and it scared the guards to death. I mean, they backed off and they said to Dimitri, Who are you anyway? And he stood at attention and he said, I am a son of the Lord God of heaven and Jesus is his name. Listen, there is protection. God will never leave you alone. He will never forsake you. His presence never departs. You may not recognize he's there, he is there. And there is protection. Listen to me. God wants to rebuild your life. If you've never been saved, you are separated from God by your sin, and He wants you to come to Him in faith and repentance. Repentance and faith. And He will redeem you. He will restore you and begin in you a rebuilding process. If you, you've been in church, you've been saved, but you're now out of fellowship with God. Listen, God wants you back. He will redeem that past. He will restore you. And He will begin the rebuilding process in this place. That's what He wants for you. If you're burned by church, and so you've been out of church, 
Come back to God. He will restore you. He will redeem that hurt. He will restore you. Begin to rebuild you. If you're burned out on church, come back again. Let God restore you. And let Him rebuild you.